0: Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's message. Be sure to tune in to whatever Bethesda Church is doing on our website, BethesdaChurch.tv, or check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Now, let's jump into today's message. Good morning, Bethesda Church. How's everybody doing? Good? Are you glad to be in God's house today? What a wonderful presence of God here. So excited about the series we kicked off last week entitled Quenched. Um, I want to jump into part two of this. And the truth is a lot of people will say they want a move of God or we want to experience God. God, we need you to show up. But the problem and the crux of this series is that oftentimes, though we say that, there are many things that we do that quench what God wants to do. And so that's the premise of the series. It is a series about revival, and it's no secret that the past year, uh, with everything people have walked through over the last year, uh, I think that a lot of us feel that we lost some things in that season. Uh, as we were walking it out, we obviously we lost certain comforts, routines, uh, opportunities, but I I think that that season also gave us some things like resilience and gratitude, and most importantly, I think for some people, they came out of the season with a desire for God. Now I know that we usually only focus on those that have um, found their way outside of the church in this last year, but I think the ones that have been resilient and they have kind of stayed the course in spite of all that has come against us in the last year, I think that now that we're coming out and we're on the other side, that many of those people, they desire God more now than they've ever desired God before. I I think there are people that are open to hearing conversations about God that they were never interested before. I think that a lot of people want to move beyond God being uh, seeing God through a theoretical view that now people want to have uh, an experiential view Uh, experience with God it's not just theory or thought but people want to have an experience with the living God how many of you here today would say you want an experience with God like a tangible I want to know him experience him (laughs) like I, I think a lot of people are there but here's the thing and this is what this series is all about there is a difference between wanting something and receiving something And I think for a long time the church has wanted something. I want revival for my family. Uh, I want revival for my church. I I, I want to see our nation, you know, a move of God experienced in our nation. Um, And we want that, but there's a difference in wanting something and receiving something. And so we have to understand how to receive because revival is not a style. I don't care if you're singing Redback hymnal or the new stuff that we're singing. It's not a style, it's not a series of meetings, and it's not just for the religious nuts. All right, I think we kind of discovered that last week when we we called the message, start with me. God, whatever you're gonna do, let it begin in me. Um, As I've dissected the difference between wanting and receiving, um, not only does it start with us, but the second thing that, that I've discovered in having a move of God and making sure that we don't quench the move of God is that we have to be united in prayer. And that's what I want to call today's message united in prayer. Hit somebody and tell them united in prayer. Now, to, to understand the importance of what where I'm going, we have to we we all know Jesus came to the earth. He lived 33 and a half years on the earth. He spent three and a half years pouring into and investing in 12 disciples. We know that he was crucified, he was buried, but on the third day he got back up. And at that moment, something significant happened in the scriptures. When Jesus got up on the third day, we know that he ascended to the right hand of God and he has been given all power and authority, but he did something in this transition that a lot of people don't want to talk about. Jesus left the responsibility and the authority with the church. The same authority and responsibility that he carried in the earth, he left it in the hands of the church. Now, I, I don't think we, that really registers for us, but it registered for the disciples because the moment after Jesus ascended, when the angel showed up and said, why are y'all standing here gazing into the heavens, the same Jesus that you saw leave and ascend into the heavens, he will come again and receive you unto himself. But until then, you've got to operate in authority and take responsibility for what he started. You have to finish. Now, how many know that's some big shoes to fill? And so here's their response in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. It says, The disciples left the Mount of Olives and returned to Jerusalem, less than a mile away. Arriving there, they went into a large second floor room, and you all say the next two words to pray. They went to the second floor room to pray. And then there's a little roll call here. The people that were present, Peter, John, Jacob, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, Jacob, Simon, Judas, and a number of women, including Mary, Jesus' mother, his brothers were there as well. And watch this, this last line, you may want to highlight that. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding day and night. You got to get this. God left them in charge. Jesus left them in charge, and what was their response? Their first response was not planning, was not preparing. It wasn't hooking up with new partners. It wasn't positioning. Their first response to being left uh, the responsibility and the authority to finish what Jesus started, their first uh, step was in the direction of prayer. And, and, and we have to ask, why, why, are the, why is the first thing you guys do, why is it pray? And I believe that it's because they understood that they were completely helpless without God's help. The reason they started with prayer, when you don't pray, that is the height of arrogance, It is the height. When you don't have a prayer life, you're basically saying, God, I don't need you. I don't need your help. But their first step was prayer. Now, I believe, and I, you, know, you guys can believe what you want to, I believe that our church is filled with some of the most talented and capable people on the planet. In this church, we we got doctors, lawyers, CPAs, educators, nurses, business owners. We got all kinds of incredible people that attend this church, capable people. But I think we would all agree that we would not be successful at all without the help of God. And I think we ought to take a praise break right now if you believe that everything you have is not just because you're great, it's because he's great and he has helped you. That, that's where it comes from. They started with a position of prayer. They humbled themselves. And, and I believe that all of us, it, it, you know, most of us, if not all of us, would agree with what I just said. We all need God to help us. But here's the problem. Only 50% of Christians pray daily. Half the people in this room don't pray every day. Let that sink in. And I'm not saying that in a condemning fashion. We say we want God to move. We say we want to experience God. But watch this. Our prayer lives say something different. It says it's really not important that God move. It's not important that God show up. And I think a lot of people struggle with the concept of prayer. I think we struggle with the practice of prayer i don 't know how it was for you, but I know when I first got saved and started feeling a call into ministry and, and and I knew that prayer was important. it was a discipline that that disciples should have and uh, But how many like me would say that you struggled with prayer? Come on, you struggled with it. anybody other than me struggle with prayer like um I struggled with it for 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 a season. It felt to me like prayer was kind of like work or. Prayer was like a workout, you know? It it was, you go into God's presence, and I can remember taking formulas in, like, I'm gonna do this, point one, point two, point three. I was trying to learn how to pray. But it wasn't until um, my brother and I, and I was a youth pastor, volunteer youth pastor, uh, in a local church, and my brother and I and another friend, we decided, because we heard an evangelist preach, and they were preaching, and it was a powerful service, but they talked about how they got up on Tuesday mornings, every day, and they spent so much time in prayer, but it would begin at 5 a.m. And you know how you are in one of those services where everybody's clapping and shouting and you're know you feeling good, and we're all like, yeah, 5 o'clock Tuesday mornings, every Tuesday, we're meeting at the church and we're gonna pray. And I'm gonna be honest, when I set that alarm at 4 o'clock so I could get to the church at 5 to come and lay in a sanctuary that's dead quiet, and lay on my face before God, I had to learn how to pray or I was gonna be snoring in a few minutes. And so it wasn't until that I began to realize, and you may wanna jot these two points down, it wasn't until I realized that prayer has to be both personal, everybody say personal, all right? That was a big step for me. It's gotta be personal and you have to understand that prayer produces results, Prayer is personal and it produces results. And so as I began to to grow in prayer, it became more natural. But here's what I learned. It wasn't the model of prayer. It wasn't taking my list in before God. It was when I went into the presence of God and I poured out, what had been preoccupying my mind into God's presence that I exchanged my worry and my anxiety and the things that kept me unsettled, I exchanged that for God's peace. And so prayer has to be personal. It can't be, oh great God, thou father, I lovest thee. Shut up. You don't mean any of that. You don't speak King James. Prayer is when I, I get personal and I pour out my heart in the presence of God. And, and the second part of that is is that my prayer produces results. When I started seeing God's hands show up, after spending those Tuesday mornings at five o'clock for a couple of hours in prayer and I started seeing God answering the heartfelt prayers, the ones where I wasn't just trying to fill up the space, but the ones where I, I was really just pouring out my heart and asking God to move in this situation. I started seeing that and then I recognized that when I pray, even if it feels like work sometimes, even if I don't feel like it sometimes, listen, when I pray, something spiritual begins to take place. Every time I pray, um, if you could see, if you could only see what happens when you pray, you would pray all the time. The devil has convinced many of us that when we pray, nothing happens. But prayer, when it leaves my lips, immediately there is activity in heaven. Immediately. And this message today, what I wanna do is I wanna pull back the curtain so that you can see what happens when you pray so that you will not leave any circumstance in your life. You you won't just talk about it, complain about it, grumble about it, but you're gonna take it as an opportunity to pray about it because there are four things that happen when you pray. Number one, when you pray, God's presence is invited. Every time you pray, you just invited God's presence into your circumstance. John, um, before I give you what John said in the book of Revelation, get this. Your prayers, after you pray, they do not dissipate. They actually accumulate. I want you to get this. There's not a prayer that you've prayed that is not still stored in heaven, that it is still there. That they are logged and kept. John, in writing the book of Revelation, he has this vision and he got to personally witness. It's a vision. The book of Revelation is a vision that John saw. And he got to personally witness what happens when you and I pray. In Revelation 8, verses three through five, it says, another angel who had a golden censer, he came and he stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in the front of the throne and the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. The then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. Though your prayers are unseen on the earth in heaven they are actually seen as incense that is stored. That when you and I pray, our prayers are continually collected by God himself until the perfect timing when God will add his power to your prayers and hurl it back into your earth. This is what's happening when you kneel down and you pray for those 10 minutes before you go to work, this is what's happening. I know we think, I got to get up and do that quick devotion, you know, and we just kind of get through it so we can, but, but when we do a heartfelt prayer, this is what's taking place. Your prayers never go unheard. They never go unnoticed. They never expire. I hope you guys are hearing me. Your prayers are not on the junk email side of heaven where God, you know, He'll get to them if He gets to them. They're not just piled into a corner waiting for God to one day take notice of our prayers. Your prayers are precious to God. He assigns angels to collect your prayers, they are valuable to God. He stores them in a golden container, and your prayers are treasured by God because they are stored right beside of his throne. Every prayer that you've prayed has been collected, logged, and is kept by God. They do not dissipate. They accumulate. That's what happens when you pray. That's what happens when I pray. Why do you think the devil fights so hard to keep you out of prayer? Why do you think it's such a struggle sometimes? Because it's spiritually significant. The only prayers that go unanswered are the ones that go unasked. I'm going to take it a step further for the religious folk. It doesn't matter how formal or casual. It doesn't matter how long or how short. It doesn't matter if it's bold or a whisper. Out of joy or from the deepest place of suffering, every prayer is valuable to God and treasured by God and kept by God and there will come a moment when he adds his power to your prayer and hurls it back in your direction and you see things change. Come on, give him a real praise if you believe the word of God today. That's a good place to to give him a praise. Every prayer you've ever prayed, he's still got it. It's still in his possession. And at the right time, he'll send it back to you. David said in Psalm 141 and 2, let my prayer be accepted as sweet-smelling incense in your presence. Let the lifting up of my hands in prayer be accepted as an evening sacrifice. Your prayers look so much different in the spirit than they do in the natural. Something is happening when we pray. When we pray, we invite the presence of God. Number two, darkness is pushed back. Now, now, some of you may say, "Now, Pastor, are you trying to scare me into praying?" Um, no, I'm. I'm actually. I'm, I don't want to scare anybody into praying. But if I didn't tell you that you have a real spiritual enemy, I would be doing you a disservice. You have a a, a spiritual enemy, and for a lot of people, when you talk about the devil and you talk about demons say, okay you're cuckoo uh, this is crazy uh they think it's primitive fanatic they don't they don't think it's something that is relevant to where you and I live but if you believe in Jesus you have to believe in the devil because he taught that there is a real devil and not that we not just that we should be aware that there's a devil but Jesus taught us what the devil does and there's four things, not in your notes, but write these down. Four things the devil's doing right now concerning you. All right? Hit your neighbor say, concerning you. Four things Jesus taught. Number one is he's actively planning. The devil is actively planning against you. He has nonstop surveillance against your life, over your life, to find out what you're doing, where you're vulnerable, so that he can... He can plan his attack against you, nonstop surveillance. Secondly, he's extremely organized in it. This is what Jesus taught us. He's extremely organized. We know that when, when Lucifer fell out of heaven, right, Satan, that one-third of the angels fell with him and that one-third of the angels be, has become his army. They are ordered, structured, they are regimented against you. That They, uh, they work in unison against you. The third thing Jesus taught us about Satan is that he is pure evil. In other words, he's never had one good thought about you. And I, I, I hate to say it like this, but I, I got to paint the picture. He hates you. He hates your spouse. He hates your children. He hates everything about you. He's maniacal. He's against you. He wants to, but Jesus summed up, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy you, right? He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Uh, and that's the fourth thing he, he taught. He's out for total destruction, meaning, watch this, his hate will never run out against you. There'll never be a moment when the, when the enemy doesn't hate you and he's not gonna be satisfied until you are separated from God. That's how much the enemy is against you. And some of us, instead of working or combating against that, we fall right into his hands. And the way that we fall into the enemy's hands is when we treat prayer like it's irrelevant. That instead of praying, we post. Instead of praying, we complain. Instead of praying, we gossip. Not knowing that He's had 24 hour a day surveillance against us finds us vulnerable, and at the point of our vulnerability, instead of submitting to God, In a posture of prayer, we take on all these other methods that keep us unsettled, keep us filled with fear and anxiety, keep us frustrated, but if we had just taken the initial thought into the presence of God, we would have come out with peace and wouldn't have to do any of the other things that we felt like we had to do, all because we submitted it in prayer. The weight of this reality is what Peter felt when Jesus told him in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And you don't need to think for a minute that the same thing isn't true about you. The enemy has desired to sift you as wheat. There has not been a day of your life that he has not been deliberate, willful, intentional, that he's not had a well-designed plan in place to harm you mentally, to harm you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the only reason that didn't happen to Peter, the reason he wasn't sifted and in, ended up separated from God, is because Jesus said in Luke 22:32, 32, he said, but Peter, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. If you try to defeat the enemy with your human intellect, your, the force of your personality or your physical giftings, mental giftings or acumen, you are going to fail every single time. But if you're going to be an overcomer, and I think everybody wants to be an overcomer, we're only going to outlast the enemy's attack through the power of prayer. Jesus said to Peter, the only thing that's kept him at bay, Peter, is prayer. And some of you need to know and give honor to the people in your life that when you were running wild and living out the devil's plan, the only reason you're still here is because somebody prayed on your behalf that caused the devil to stop. Stop in his tracks, and he could not finish the assignment he had against you. Come on, go ahead and give God a praise for the people that prayed for you when you couldn't even pray for yourself. I know I'm where I'm at because my mom and dad prayed for me. When I was acting a fool, they prayed for me. When I was lying through my teeth, they prayed for me. Anybody thankful for the people that prayed for you? So, when we pray, God's presence is invited, darkness is pushed back. Third, angels are dispatched. According to the Bible, angels are spiritual beings created by God to serve him. They appear in three different categories throughout Scripture, and they are each, each category is headed by an Archangel. And you've heard of, of, of all three of these, I'm sure. Michael, the archangel, he he's the head of what we would call the warring angels. Okay, so there's a whole category of angels that are designed to war on our behalf. There's a second category headed up by the archangel by the name of Gabriel. These are messenger, uh, messengers or messaging angels. Uh, you see them carrying the word of God to an individual. They show up with an answer to prayer through a word, something God has said. They would bring God's word. But there was a third category. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but we know the third category are the worshiping angels, headed up by the archangel Lucifer. He lost his job in heaven because of pride and has now become my spiritual enemy and your spiritual enemy. You say, why, why are you telling us that? God categorized these angels specifically and how they would interact with us. And oftentimes, here's what we got to catch. They are dispatched in response to our prayers. That when we pray, oftentimes God will say, that's enough, it's time to move. And he will send an angel on your behalf now let me make something clear I don't want people to get goofy we do not pray to angels I think some of the reason why, why some people don't want to be a part of a move of God is because in some moves of God how many of them sometimes they get goofy they get a little weird and it's like they, they come off the rails a little bit We don't pray to the angels, but when we pray to God through the name of Jesus, God then releases angels on our behalf. Sometimes to do war on our behalf, sometimes to send messages to us that will give us the answer that we need. And and so our prayers not only dispatch angels, it's kind of like God's Amazon Prime. I got to walk this out for you. If if you really want to grasp how effective your prayers are, All you got to do is look at Acts chapter 12, because the Bible tells us that Peter has been preaching boldly, and because of that, he's arrested by the religious leaders of that day, and they placed him in a cell, they chained him to a wall, and they put guards outside of the door, and in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 5, it says, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly what? They were earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Now, if you have you ever seen um, those two-pained movies where, where you got... Uh, Two different pictures of of something that's happening at the same time. Like you got two different things happening at the same time, and it gives you a glimpse as to both. If you could see this story with that two-pain kind of mindset, when you look at this, Peter is arrested, watch this, and the church starts praying. The church keeps praying, and an angel is dispatched. Same time. The church keeps praying and the angel appears to Peter. The church keeps praying, and Peter's chains fall off. The church keeps praying, and the angel leads Peter out of the prison. The church keeps praying, and while they're still praying, there comes a knock at their door, and while they're praying, they get up, go answer the door, they open it, and guess who's standing there? Peter. I could run a lap right there. When you pray, God is working. When you pray, God is working. You need to. When you pray, God is working. Some of us have given up on praying for certain things. But if you could get that two-pane view of what your prayers are doing, you wouldn't stop because while you're praying, that addiction is being broken. That while you're praying, strength is coming into that loved one. That while you're praying, your children are being set free. That while you're praying, the drug problem is being put out. That while you're praying, the marriage is being healed. That while you're praying, the business is starting to grow come on church we gotta be a praying people we are a praying people Jesus did not say my house shall be called a house of worship he did not say my house shall be called a house of preaching he said my house shall be called a house of prayer why? because when we pray he's invited when we pray Darkness is pushed back. When we pray, angels are dispatched on our behalf. I hope somebody leaves this place today and and you got got something on the inside of you that realizes for the first time in a long time how powerful prayer is. That we're not just going through the motions, we are bringing heaven into the earth. Don't stop praying just because the answer hasn't showed up yet because listen, God's Amazon Prime, eventually that answer will show up at your door. The last thing, when we pray, we invite him. When we pray, darkness is pushed back. When we pray, angels are dispatched. And number four, God's will is established on the earth. Have you ever heard the phrase, I know just enough to be dangerous? And I think many Christians fall into that category. They know just enough theology to be dangerous. And one of the most dangerous concepts throughout Scripture that a lot of people struggle with is the concept of God's sovereignty. People assume that because God is sovereign, that why, why Pastor, why, why pray? God's sovereign. He's, you know, he's going to do what he wants. He's going to do what he wants, when he wants. Um, so, so there's no need for me to really engage in that. Sovereign means... To have supreme rule. And that is true that God reigns supremely over all things. Nothing can knock God off of his throne. But what most misunderstand is that God gave you and I choice and authority. And this is where your sovereignty message falls short. I don't need to do anything. I don't have to pray. God's already figured out. He's already decided how everything's going to work out, how everything's going to pan out. It's done. No need for me to participate. But in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, you see God's heart when he gives this paradise, this garden to Adam and Eve. And I want you to watch this. God did not come down and work the garden for Adam. He said, Adam, you work the garden. It's under your authority. Some of us, we know Adam, he forfeited that authority. And listen, many of us are just like Adam. We are forfeiting our authority in the earth by saying things like, well, it'll be what it'll be. It is what it is. At the end of the day, we, you know, we can't do nothing about anything. And what we are doing, we are forfeiting our choice, we are forfeiting our authority and and I don't want you to to forfeit your authority. I'm gonna say it in a way we can all get it. God's not gonna raise your kids. He gave you the authority to raise your kids. God is not going to run your checkbook. He gave you the authority to run your checkbook. God's not going to take... So so if God is sovereign and none of it really matters because he's going to do what what he wants to do, then why does God spend so much time teaching us about proper stewardship? Why steward anything well if it don't matter? See, the opposite is actually true. God's supreme over all things, but he's given us choice and authority. And that we are called by God to manage what has been given into our care or responsibility. See, that's why it means so much to God. When when we participate and manage the way God wants us to manage, and then we pray, check this out. This is how God's will and God's desires are accomplished in the earth. This is how heaven comes into the earth. Jesus said, when you pray. Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to manage it well. I'm going to have authority in this area, but I'm also going to stop long enough to pray about it because when I pray, something spiritual happens. In Matthew chapter 18, here's what Jesus said. Receive this truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be considered to be forbidden in heaven and whatever you release on earth will be considered to be released in heaven. Again, I give you an eternal truth. If two of you agree to ask God for something in symphony of prayer, my heavenly Father will do it for you. God is saying for those who, whose hearts get aligned with my heart, I'm gonna use you through prayer to accomplish my purpose. The reason we don't see God's will manifested in our lives many times is because we fail to participate in prayer. We're not in a posture of prayer. Prayer, here's what uh, Watchman Nee wrote. He says, our prayers lay the track down which, which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without the rails of prayer prayer is the way that you and I write history our prayers are going to write history it's the difference between letting things happen and making things happen how many want God's best for your life for your marriage for your children for your ministry, for your job I'm going to close with this little story history records Charles Finney how many's ever heard of Charles Finney A lot of us have heard of Charles Finney. He was a generational, a a once-in-a-generation type of preacher. And his meetings were so impactful that in the 1800s, 100,000 people would show up to a crusade in in Rochester, Rochester, New York. And they were so powerful that um, liquor stores were shutting down um, they didn't have to fight crime because there was no crime. Um, we know that because of his meetings and the anointing on his life, that without Charles Finney, there wouldn't even be a Baptist denomination or a Methodist denomination, that all of these things, and including equal rights, all came out of Charles Finney's meetings. And although he was the face of of that movement that impacted an entire generation. We seldom recognize his partner. Matter of fact, most of you have probably never heard of his partner, a guy by the name of Daniel Nash, also known as Father Nash. He gave up his full-time job to pray daily and cover this ministry in prayer, the ministry of Charles Finney. And what Nash would do is that before Finney would go into a town to hold one of these crusades that would minister to thousands of people, he would slip into the town three or four weeks before Finney ever showed up. And all he would do, he would team up with some like-minded Christians there and they would just pray for three or four weeks before the crusade even began, before Finney was even in town. And one day, Finney testifies of this, before he got to town to start a revival, there was a lady who contacted him who, she ran a boarding house. And she said, Brother Finney, do you know Father Nash? And Finney said, yes, I do, I, I know who he is. She said, well, I'm very concerned for, for him and a couple of guys that are with him. She said that he and two other men, they've been at my boarding house for the last three days They have not eaten a bite of food. I opened the door to peep in on them, and all I could hear was groaning, and I saw all of them laying face down on the carpet. And they have been in that posture for three solid days, on the floor, groaning. I thought something awful must be happening to them. I was afraid to go in, So I'm calling you. Would you please come and see about them? Would you come and check on them? And Finney said this, no, I'm not coming to check on them. It's not necessary. They are being held there by a spirit of prayer. A spirit of prayer. Finney had so much confidence in Nash that if opposition would arise against his ministry, he would tell Nash about the opposition. And Nash would either confront it or pray about it. And on one particular occasion, there was a group of young men who openly announced that they were going to attack the meeting. Once Finney got into town and the meeting got, they would attack it. And Nash, after praying, went and confronted the men. And he said this, now you gotta get this. This, You better be praying if you're gonna be this bold. He said, within one week, God will deal with you either by saving your souls or by sending you to hell. That was, that's what Nash told him. Now Finney said that was, that was, you know, kind of out there, a little bold. That was really, really bold. But here's what happened within one week of Nash making that statement. All three of them showed up with the wrong intention, intentions, but once they got there, the Holy Spirit gripped their hearts. All three men submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. Now here, here, here's, here's the big, big part. You can go ahead and stand for this part. When Nash died, when Nash died, Charles Finney, never conducted another crusade like that ever again never had the impact he got more into academics and other other parts of what he felt god called him to do but he never had the big meetings again after nash died and i think the reason why get this there are no finney results without a nash commitment to prayer Y'all ought to be clapping a whole lot louder than that. There are no Finney results without a Nash commitment to prayer. If you want revival in your family, if you want revival in your marriage, if you want revival in your church, if you want revival in this nation, there are no Finney results without a Nash commitment to prayer. How many are gonna see prayer differently moving forward? Anybody? All right, you're on your feet we're going to pray this together it's a different prayer but we're going to do another prayer together because i want this to get into our hearts if we could throw that up on the screens for everybody to see i want to i'll try to move to the side so everybody can see let's pray this out loud together say heavenly father pray with me my heart has been stirred for more of you lord make me a person of prayer today i ask you to open my eyes to your greatness you possess all power all authority and there is nothing impossible to you lord make me a person of prayer today i fully commit my heart to you from this day forward i will depend on your strength and not my own help me to pray first and act second in every situation i face lord make me a person of prayer Today, I make myself available to you. Make me sensitive to your promptings, quick to obey, and steadfast in seeking you. Use me at any moment to establish your will, push back darkness, or lift others up. May the results be revival in our homes, cities, and nation. Lord, make me a person of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, do you believe that today? Make me a person of prayer. Make me a person of prayer. Before I post, I'll pray. Before I speak, I'll pray. Before I make a decision, I'll pray. God, make me a person of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. No one looking around. I want to speak to those in the room and those watching online who may not be in a relationship with God. Listen, Jesus has already paid the price for you. And and the Holy Spirit is drawing you into that relationship with God. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you say, Pastor, I want to make him my Lord and my Savior. If that's you today, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but if that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Just raise it high enough for me to see it. Thanks for that hand over there. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, raise it high enough for me to see it. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, everybody. We're going to pray this together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me in Jesus name amen come on give God a big hand clap right there somebody just went from darkness into light woo prayer team and staff I want you to get into position and listen I want to offer something different today I want to offer something different if you prayed that prayer there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you take a minute Fill that card out, and there is a place to my left in the back of the room, it'd be your right. There's some balloons there. If you could fill that card out, let us know you made a decision for Christ. Drop it off back there. They're gonna put a brand new Bible in your hand, and they'll help you with your next step. But here's what I wanna do as a church family today. I know we've been distanced for well over a year. We've been hesitant about altar time, but but listen to me, church. We can't be all that God has called us to be without an altar without a place of prayer. So, so here's the deal, you may need prayer and I want you to come to one of these prayer partners that, that are here ready to pray for you. But I also just wanna open up the altar. Like if you just wanna come and say, Pastor, I just wanna come pray. I'm stirred today, I'm moved today. I I don't wanna leave without really praying and pouring out my heart before God. I want you to know that as we get ready to sing this last song, listen, these altars are open. Come and spend some time in the presence of God today. Give him one more cheer before we do it. Come on church. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can go to bethesdachurch.tv slash give. We'll catch you on the next episode, and we hope you have a great day.